Uh, welcome to In Liminality, uh, or I guess the full title's the In Liminality Podcast. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Tyler McAdams, and with me is... Um, Patrick Cabler. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, today we're going to be talking about the uh, Kelly Hopkinsville encounter, uh, which is a notorious kind of UFO case, uh, especially for people that look into... Uh, UFOs and are interested in that kind of stuff. Kelly Hopkinsville is kind of a standout for uh, multiple reasons, which we're going to get into. Um, and we actually have a guest with us today. Uh, Ron, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, give a bit of your background and let the people know. Hey, what's up, guys? How you doing? I uh, Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, you know, I love talking about this kind of stuff, and, and especially with the fellow Kentucky guys. Um, where, where I think uh, we we can be proud that we have one of the weirdest, uh, most awesome states uh, in the union, right? So, uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah I, I'm I'm Ryan Clark. I uh, I live up in the northern part of Kentucky, and uh, I was uh, born and raised in Louisville. Uh, educated at Western Kentucky University, and. Uh, so I kind of made the tour of the state a little bit, and uh, I was a uh, I was a journalism guy too uh, out there at, at uh, WKU, and I was a uh, folklore miner. So this has always been kind of part of my DNA a little bit. Uh, these kinds of stories and and you know the history and culture of the state has always been fascinating to me. Um, I've been uh, a journalist. I've been a teacher uh, on the uh, college level at uh, NKU and then at Xavier in Cincinnati. And now I'm at uh, UK, uh, where I got my master's in education. And, uh, you know, kind of my uh, keeping my foot in the the journalism door a little bit, I kind of decided to get out of that world when... You know, I just really have a problem with authority and uh, being told what to do. Uh, so I wanted to wanted to leave and kind of get out of that a little bit. But I wanted to tell the stories that I wanted to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, it got it got to be where the only fun that I had was around Halloween, when they would let me, you know, follow some ghost hunters around or something, do that kind of story that we always see. I just wanted to do that all the time. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I was lucky enough to hook on with Ripley's Believe It or Not, uh, which has a great website at ripleys.com, and uh, you can go read my stuff there. I've been writing for them now for about six years. Uh, also the co-host of the uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not cast, uh, which is our uh, podcast, which is pretty awesome. Uh, well, with Ripley's, I've uh, I've gone uh, around the country doing stories like this, and uh, um, going out to New Mexico and uh, hunted treasure, uh, gone down to Florida, uh, talked to people who um, claim to have gone after the skunk ape and uh, um, been out to Nebraska and seen the uh, only incorporated town in America with one person. <laughs> and... Uh, talk to that one person and uh she has a little diner and they make great cheeseburgers it's uh, it's incredible but uh but it's been it's been really fun and you know that's just kind of my 
stuff that I do in my spare time. And, uh, you know, you know, during COVID it was, you know, everybody was like, let's go out and get exercise. And, you know, for me and my daughter, it was like, let's go to Gettysburg and see if we can <laughs> take pictures of ghosts, you know, um, which we did. And, uh, which is another story for another time. But, uh, so that's, uh, that's kind of what we've been, uh, what we've been into. But one of the things that we did really when, when, when COVID began, you know, like everybody wanted to go, go out and find things to do outdoors. Uh, one of the things that my family did is we traveled to Kelly, Kentucky, uh, for Ripley's. And, uh, I ended up tracking down some of the folks who were there this night when this incident happened that we're going to be talking about and uh, ended up writing a story last year. I think it was the 65th anniversary of the, uh, of the incident, which we'll get into, but um, um, it was a lot of fun. And uh, it was also something that was kind of tragic when you think about what it did to this, uh, this family, but we'll get, we'll get into all that. So, uh, but that's who I am, and I uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, we're really glad to have you on, Ryan. Um, so, like we've alluded to multiple times, uh, today we're going to uh, be talking about the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter. Um, sorry, I might be getting some background on my mic. Uh, but, uh, Pat, why don't you tell us what happened in that encounter? Um, so in 1955, it was late August, mid-August, um, a a gentleman of the family, um, seen what seemed to him as a UFO fly over. That, but, you know, they kind of played it off as an asteroid. Um, he didn't, of course, he was trying to push... Um, what he saw and explained to the rest of the family. Um, which later on in the night, a lot of weird stuff happened. That, you know, as scientists and a lot of uh, paranormal uh, people in the society cannot explain. Um, it is definitely a fascinating story. Um, from what I've read and listened to, I am, you know, I'm baffled. Um, I've never experienced anything of the sort. Uh, I mean, other than, you know, ghosts and occasional, you know, flying uh, saucer. Um, And Ryan? Yeah. Uh, you got anything to add? Well, I mean, I think what kind of sets this case apart is it's so fantastic. I mean, rarely had anyone even, you know, we're, we're smack dab in the middle of what some people would call, you know, the kind of the golden age of this this era of uh, flying saucer kind of madness, right? In pop culture, right? We have, you know, the day the earth stood still. We have other movies. We have pulp magazines, comic books, things, you know, when we look at Back to the Future and we see the kid, 
you know, with the uh, with the magazine at the time, people were getting inundated in the ways that they could because it's not like today. So there's not, you know, we got to remember the media wasn't like what it was then, what it is now. So, but people were still getting inundated in their way with the imagery and the tales of kind of aliens, UFO spacemen, and that kind of thing. So this was right in that wheelhouse. Um, but what kind of separates this is the, I think, uh, speed in which the affected people uh, ended up taking this to the authorities right away uh, with a very specific story. Yeah, and the if fact that, that yeah, and the fact that everybody in the family had the same story, like identically. Right. I mean, so we're talking we're talking twelve people in this family. You know, a mix of little little kids and older people, and uh, and you know, kind of in the middle. I mean, this is a hodgepodge of folks who end up basically going to the local police and. Hopkinsville, um, and they had an interesting story to tell, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, most definitely. Except, um, I mean, just experience something like this in life. I mean, it's going to be you know fascinating. It's going to be terrifying, and like we uh, discussed before the show, I mean it put a lot of people in this family in a hard spot, you know, from being ridiculed from your peers, um, from local and, uh, real quick. Yeah. I was going to say, let's think about the trauma, you know, of, of what they alleged to have happened. You know, they're, they're basically having a, uh, just a little family get together in their, pretty quaint farmhouse when they say, you know, maybe like up to 15 small little beings start coming up to their property and peering in the windows. You know, that's the first thing where I'm like, I'm good. (laughs) You know, I think, I think I'm getting in the, I'm getting in the, I'm getting on my horse. I'm getting, you know, what, whatever car, whatever vehicle they have there. I'm just, I'm getting in, I'm getting on, and I'm getting out, you know? Uh, yeah. Once, once I see little, little alien eyes peering at me from, uh, you know, in, uh, in the windows, I think I'm good. Um, but they say they see this, and they basically flip out, right? They don't know how to respond to this. So they, <laughs> they, they get their weapons. They get their guns. And, you know, there's some shouting. I think there's some threats to get off the property. And then they start to engage, basically. Um, Some of these beings jump on the roof, according to them. Some of them might have actually assaulted some of the people in some way, scratched them, or, you know, one apparently took off somebody's hat. Yeah. uh, while While he was out trying to pick a couple of them off. And then they described them in really weird ways too, right? Like they were, they called them little gray men in like shiny 
outfits, mm-hmm. right? And I think that was kind of the and, description. And uh, I do want to interject because, um, like you said, you know, in the original description from uh, the family, they're little gray men. Uh, the little green men moniker that kind of got attached to these, that came more from the media, right? That wasn't from yeah. their mouse, but that was something that the media kind of just tagged onto this. And it yeah, took off. it's very, it's very, yeah, it's very possible. I think that the whole idea of of aliens being little green men came from a journalist mishearing what one of the people had said when they were telling this story, and they wrote it down as little green men, mm-hmm. and then that, and that has become the official kind of moniker, right, of of what we think of. When we think of of aliens, I think that is so interesting. Uh, and people are like, "No, that's not it. <laughs> they weren't green at all." <laughs> and I mean, uh, and this, I'm risking going on a tangent here, but you know, I, when I think little green men, I think more, especially nowadays, um, more cartoon aliens. And I'm sure that's kind of what happened here. But the, then you get into right. the more serious side, quote unquote serious, uh, you know of UFOlogy or whatever, but you know, people talk about the grays, you know, like right. gray aliens. Um, you know, with the black eyed kids stories, some people say, you know, there's human alien hybrids. They're usually, you know, kind of washed out color, like, you know. Uh yeah, so yeah. it kind of ties your, in. To your point, yeah. To your point, this is much more like what we would come to hear later on. When we get the Whitley Strieber uh, cover of the book, kind of alien, mm-hmm. right? You know, big eyes, kind of weird. Not definitely not green in color. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and so you know, you have all of this. You have basically all hell breaks loose here in this little bitty. You know, Kelly, Kentucky is. As I, you know, I described it. It's it's a it's a wide spot in the road. Yeah. that's what it is. Mm-hmm. There's there is nothing there except for probably a couple of families, and uh, so this this is happening. Other neighbors heard this. Other neighbors heard things going on, and then everybody piles into you know whatever you know a car or whatever they have, and they all drive down to the police station in Hopkinsville, which isn't very far away. And they tell him what happened. Now, here's the thing. Here's what I think is interesting. You guys tell me what you think about this. The response from the authorities was not one of disbelief. No. The authorities in this case, when you read about this, the authorities took whatever happened out there, and we've talked about this, no matter what, there was evidence out there that something happened. Much more than just a gunfight, right? right. Like, right. whatever happened, the authorities took them seriously and responded. People have said that there was like 15 to 16 local authorities who came out to that farm that night for everybody from the sheriff to like, uh, what, like army uh, mm-hmm. Folks from Fort Campbell. It was two MPs from one I've read. Yeah, and 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 the neighbors talked about seeing this convoy of police cars, military cars, 
two helicopters that came out. Now, I'm not sure. I mean, that to me is the first sign that something is going on. Yeah. Something a little more than people, you know, people in New York came down journal and like to make fun of the story. You know, there are, there are teachers in uh, universities now that teach this story and they talk about how you know when people are lying mm-hmm. and they teach this in college courses. To me, there's, it's so easy to take that road on this story because it sounds so fantastic. Mm-hmm. But there are things about this when you start thinking about it. Why did all of those authorities respond? Yeah. And um, where if they, if, or, go ahead, Ralph. if they thought they were crazy, why did they all go out there? Exactly. And, uh, and that's something that a lot of people do point to is just, you know, this overwhelming presence of, I mean, overwhelming for the time. Um, but just like law yeah. enforcement going to the area, I do want to point out one thing because it does seem to get confused. Uh, the MPs were from Fort Campbell. Some people claim that the Air Force actually went down there. Uh, the Air Force, I guess there's like no record, um, like even from like Project Blue Book, like there's no actual record of the Air Force ever being mm-hmm. there. Uh, <laughs> I've read something last night that supposedly uh, they may have sent, um, a guy from the CIA, like obviously not right then, but like later on, um, John, he wrote the, he's at, and like I said, this is all supposed, I couldn't find any hard evidence. The only thing I could find was this guy actually was in the CIA, but, uh, it was John Mulholland. I think the guy who wrote the, he was a magician and stuff back then and wrote like the CIA operative handbook on like trickery and whatnot. Like I said, that's supposed. That's um, interesting. I couldn't find any hard thing, but I thought you know that was pretty neat. But uh, but yeah, I mean, just this overwhelming police force, you know, presence, and you know, and even after the fact, after the fact, it's almost like the they were kind of split. You know, some cops said, "Oh, well, you know, they just got a little too drunk," and the whole drunk thing is something we'll get into. Uh, but, you know, then you mm-hmm. have some policemen that are like, um, I think one of the sheriffs were like, you know, he's like, I can't say what did or didn't happen. And I think one of the sheriffs or once somebody that was there as law enforcement um, had reported seeing a UFO like the previous year. They talk about it some on Astonishing Legends, but, you know, I mean, yeah, they had a reason to be uh, there. Best... What was that, Pat? Yeah. Was the, was and... Yeah. Yeah, um, and, you know, they come out, and they find some weird stuff. You know, there's a bunch, obviously, there's a bunch of bullet holes. <laughs> there's uh, there's some scratches on the roof and on the doors and windows, and some of the neighbors would report that there were very large burn marks in the field behind the house. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, uh, there's we we and we've talked about this before that there are certain stories where uh, no matter what, no matter what the result is, no matter what the actual truth of it is, it's still crazy. Mm-hmm. Like there was something that happened out there that freaked out these people enough to where they all piled up and went to the went to the went to the sheriff right 
whatever that was, uh, I don't think it was just them. I don't think it was they got into a fight and shot a bunch of guns and decided they need to come up with a cover story. So this is what we're going to come up with. Um, there's another thing that we've talked about about this this whole story is that these were rural folk. Mm-hmm. These were, you know, I, you know, it's different. I can say, you know, when I've gone out and talked to this family and talked to one of the one of the kids who was one of the neighbors that night who who saw something weird in the sky. And uh, he told me that honesty was a real big thing. then, And your word was your currency, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And like to have all these people make this up, that wasn't who they were. They were not the drinking kind of people. In fact, they were pretty very much religiously against it, according to all the people that we've talked to and that other people have talked to. Um, So this wouldn't be like them to just make something up like this. And then to what gain? I'm not really sure what they would get out of it if they did. And we'll talk more about that later. But uh, so, I mean, something happened, you know, I think. I think that's inarguable. Uh, And uh, so, I mean, go ahead, Pat. Like, imagine imagine going out, you know, and getting water. Because, you know, this is very (laughs) rural. No running water, no bathrooms, uh, you know, having to have an outhouse and all that good stuff. Uh, imagine going out and getting water and seeing something fly over your head and you're just like, the hell was that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you go back inside and, you, you know, you're all playing cards or eating supper and you're he's sitting there trying to uh, discuss what he's seeing and no one's believing him. Until all of a sudden, you see this little gray, uh, gray. humanoid peek, yeah, peeking <laughs> through the window. Right, you know, right, yeah. I mean, I feel like, because I live in a really rural area right now, um, and I mean, like, the county's rural, where I live rural, I'm like 20 minutes away from anything. The closest Walmart's like a half hour away at best. Uh, you know, I equate this to me taking my dogs out in the middle of the night and seeing something, you know, just fly over top. Luckily, I live in a basement, and I don't have any windows for any of these things to peek through. But, you know, it's just, like, (laughs) super fantastical, you know. And, I mean, but like you said, like, and I've I've noticed something in a lot of articles um, that I've seen, and they, this whole family is always described as, you know, God-fearing, which goes back to... uh, you know, them being a very religious um, sort of family. And, uh, and yeah, like, Ryan, like what you said, it's it's hard for me to wrap my head around as if this were made up, like, what, why? You know, like, they I, don't, I don't stand know. to gain anything uh, or anything like that. And as we'll, I know we keep alluding to this, but, uh, you know, and we'll talk about, like, what they did actually gain afterwards, which, you know, isn't really, (laughs) I mean, you know, it's not something that any of us really want to gain. I want to, I want to point something out to you real quick that I hadn't really thought about until we just kind of came across it. But we were talking about, 
the, the 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 gentleman who went out to to fetch water, and I, I can't remember off the top of my head what his name was. Uh, it was uh, Billy Ray. Billy Ray. Okay, so Billy Ray goes out to get water, and then he comes back, and he's like, "I saw something really bright, you know, colorful." out there in the sky you know I, I don't know whether he said he saw a ufo or not i'm not sure what the terminology would have been at the time but he comes back and he says you know i saw something weird basically flying in the sky what i think is funny and i think what says something too about the mindset of these folks is that none of them believe them they're all just like whatever what is interesting to me i think that says something about these folks. They're not buying into the whole alien UFO theory, mm-hmm. even when it's presented to them. And they they probably had no idea what these little, if whatever they saw were these little creatures, right? They weren't necessarily buying into this alien UFO thing when this happened. And I think it's important to kind of point that out. It took something really crazy to happen for them, like, you know, one of them just seeing something in the sky wasn't enough for them to get riled up. They were like, whatever. Yeah. And- but then, you know, when it, when it comes to your door, things get a little different and your mindset changes a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, like- it kind of becomes a fight or flight. Yeah. Yeah. And evidently both of those things happened in, uh, in that moment. And then... You know, when when they come back, when when all the authorities leave, apparently they come back. Mm-hmm. There's this notion that they saw the creatures again. And so much so, it freaked out the grandma so much that she left the next day and never came back to that house. Because she was convinced that they were going to keep showing up. And I mean, and to me... And she. Uh, sorry for interrupting you, Ron. Uh, if you want to finish no, up that thought, no, you're fine. Um, for like, and I don't know the full family dynamics here, obviously. Uh, but for uh, like a grandma, like you know, like a matriarch to leave a household like that, like I said, in this rural place, especially in the fifties, you know, because yeah. I mean, my family, I can trace back, you know, where my great grandparents lived. You know, we still call that "quote unquote" the old home place. You know, like you know, right, place right, right. is a very important aspect um, to rural people. Um, I feel, and you know, I, as a rural person, I feel like I can kind of make that blanket statement yeah. for a lot of people. But you know, for something to scare um, what I would probably consider to be the matriarch of the family like that to not only move, you know, it's not like she got out for a couple of days, visited family or whatever. It's she up and left <laughs> and like didn't let's, come back. Well, yeah, let's you. Yeah. Let's use that as a springboard to talk about essentially what city folk don't understand. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'll say this because, you know, I, I grew up in a, I grew up in a city. I haven't lived in a, in a really rural place in a long time, but I have done it before. Four. You know, my first uh, newspaper job was in Cadiz, Kentucky, which is a you know really really small place down land between lakes in uh, in western Kentucky. And uh, you know, I know what that I know what that kind of life is like. And uh, let's let's just imagine what it's like back in that time when 
everything we're talking about, you know, we think we know the important, but then just like times it by a hundred. Oh yeah. When you talk about family, you talk about God, you talk about honesty, you talk about not wanting to go to authorities to handle your business. Mm -hmm. It's gotta be something crazy to make you want to go out in the middle of the night and tell somebody you need help because something is going on at your place. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on there that I think a lot of people say, you know, you have journalists from Boston and New York coming down here to talk to these people. They don't get that. They don't understand how important those things are and the dynamic of it and how that factors into that story and makes it more credible, even though it sounds crazy. Yeah. And I mean, like, and just kind of show the disconnect because it's still very much around today. Um, like I said, I'm from a very rural place. Uh, and I went, I did my undergrad at UK. And, um, you know, first time actually living in a city and whatnot, um, it didn't bother me. You know, I didn't go through culture shock or anything. But, like, when I would tell people, and um, I had a couple really good friends go to UK as well from where we're from. Like, when we'd tell people where we're from, like, I remember one of my buddies, like, from, like, the Richmond area, he was, like, um, he asked us, he's, like, guys, have you ever ate at, like, Taco Bell? Like, I mean, like, (laughs) like, that disconnect is very much still around. And, you know, like, Lexington's an hour and a half away. It's not like it's very far, you know. Right, Um, right. But yet the values and, uh, and I don't mean this to say is, like, you know, city folk, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't think that way at all. Exactly. I just mean, like, the way I was brought up and, you know, the importance of place. Like, where I live, it's my family, my aunt and uncle, my grandpa. Like, we all live right together. Like, bam, bam, bam. Three houses mm-hmm. right in a row. Down a holler. And we live on what was my great-grandpa's farm. You know, so, like, we're very much rooted sure. kind of in this spot. And... uh you know, for and, somebody to leave, it takes a, a lot. That's the way it is. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. And I think it's important, I think, too, for us to say that we realize that, <laughs> that we realize that um, there are people who live in rural areas who don't tell the truth. Oh, yeah. And there are people in rural areas who uh, don't go to church. And they do uh, spend a fair amount of their lives uh, drinking. We understand that. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's <laughs> true. We understand that side of the coin pretty well. Yeah, and that I'm glad you bring bring that up because, like, I at no point want to sound like you know a rural lifestyle is an idyllic lifestyle. I have my own set of problems with <laughs> it, uh, but like just we, from going we, off the descriptions we, we have of these people, you know, that's this is kind of how they were described. The, you know, God-fearing, super honest, um, kind of take care of stuff in-house, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, they're very much described as that kind of family. And I can tell you from, you know, visiting and talking to the the granddaughter and uh, talking to the the neighbors, you know, the people who are left that we can talk to, um, there's nothing in that that would you know, um, throw shade on that, on that, uh, on that, that theory at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, they seem to be the same 
And there's a real now, you know, it's interesting when you go down to Kelly and you talk to these folks and, and anybody, you know, they have a festival as well. Uh, COVID wrecked all of our festivals. You know, we can't <laughs> go to wild, wild man or Mothman or, or, uh, or, or the uh, Kelly UFO festival anymore, but hopefully we can here in the latter part of the summer. But, uh, but they have a little festival down there where they bring people and they raise money for this park. Mm-hmm. They're not making, and I just want to point out, they're not making a lot of money. They're not pocketing this money and going and buying cars and, mm-hmm. and uh, fancy uh, jewelry. Uh, they're, uh, they have a very nice park in their, in their town, and that's pretty much the whole town, basically. I think there's a church and a park. But, um, but, you know, they've kind of turned this into a celebration a little bit because they are really, really pissed off about the way that they have been treated and the way that they have been looked at because of this story. Even, even the kids, you know, even the ones that, you know, a lot of these people we're talking about are dead and gone now, but their relatives, their grandkids are still mad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're like, well, not only did no one believe us, they made fun of us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they have a real, um, mistrust of the media because of that uh it's kind of hard to kind of break in a little bit and kind of talk to them but but once you do you get a real sense of uh yes something really strange happened that night uh we believe it they didn't make it up and so now we're going to try to at least uh use this in some good way um you know, to try to help this little park that we have here in our town. Um, but those people haven't left. And that's also a very rural thing. They're stubborn. They are not going to leave. Um, and what's interesting now is that they have said that other people have come to them in the area and have had some pretty interesting stories to tell about some uh, things that they've experienced. So, mm-hmm. They think now maybe they've been able to open it up a little bit for some other people to come forward. Because you know nobody is going to come forward now. Once they've seen no. what's happened. I mean, now we can get into it if you guys want to. You know, after they told this story, you know, it's craziness, right? Yeah. I and mean, the only other crazy time that this has happened in that area is when they had the uh, eclipse. And everybody went down there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess all these media from around the country came to this little place and they said that it really wasn't warranted. They didn't want that. That's not really what they wanted to happen. People were taking soil samples from their yard, like running off with it. You know, they were knocking on their door at all hours of the night. And, uh, and then they were just straight getting some of the facts wrong, yeah. uh, which they didn't appreciate either. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's kind of how it started. Um, I think then as the, as the press kind of twisted this story a little bit, it got kind of made fun of, I think that trickled back down and I think, uh, all the way back down into their community, I think people started looking at them funny, you know, wondering why they made this up and, uh, there were a few people that really trusted them and believed them uh, and still do. And we'll still say that, but I think, uh, you know, it really did start to hurt 
that some did not believe them. And I think some found it was hard to get a job after that because, you know, being trustworthy was a thing, right? Mm -hmm. That was a big deal. And then that started the whole ball rolling, you know? And I think that... Yeah, because I mean... Go ahead, Pat. And, like, I've read um, that, you know, these gentlemen, you know, they try to find a job after all this happened. And they're like, didn't this happen at your farm? Then mm-hmm. most of these people wouldn't even get a, you know, second interview or a job. And, like, it just, it, it didn't just hurt them as a family. It hurt them as individuals. It yeah. made it to where they couldn't, you know, supply for their family. It really hurt their character. You know, for something so bad for them to happen, you know, happen to them, and no one believe them, and it just kind of—I mean, to me, I feel like it's more of a curse. Yeah, you know, for all this happened. Yeah, I feel like that was kind of that was kind of that was kind of my take on it too. Yeah, sorry. Oh no, you're good. I was just going. Yeah, this—I mean, this whole event uh, very much marked a turning point. It seems like in a lot of their lives. And that not for the better, you know, because um, like your article points out, Ryan, you know, like they may not have drank before this, but like afterwards, you know, a lot of them turned to yeah. the bottle uh, because for the reasons Patrick mentioned, I mean, um, and it goes back to that whole honesty thing, you know, like, you know, your word is kind of, you know, bond back then. Um and uh you know it's kind of a currency of sorts uh and once you lose that credibility um it's gone and and you know once once people from and i liked how you put it around you know how kind of like these people from outside the community came in and kind of sensationalized this and then that trickled yeah. back in and i think you know cuz like a lot a lot of rural folks like real rural folks that I know, you know, they don't concern themselves with the opinion of people from outside, you know, too much. Um, and by outside, I mean, you know, from like larger city stuff. But when it comes to people in the community, you know, uh, the place you've been, you know, that you've been born, that you've been raised, that, you know, you've put work into helping grow um, in whatever way, you know, once those people um, start to look at you funny, you know, and start to, um, doubt what you're saying that's when it really that's you know that's when it really hits home uh because yeah you're losing that sense of community yeah that's tough so you got grandma who left you got the guys who were there who you know the men of the family who can't get jobs anymore you got the kids who had talked about they were getting made fun of in school you know really what they should have done is they should have just moved you know but they didn't, mm-hmm. you know, but they really should have gone somewhere else. But uh, but they didn't. They stayed. And slowly, um, these these men just kind of deteriorated, you know. Uh, one of them drank himself to death, uh, reportedly. And uh, this was this was something that got that got passed on. And then, you know, finally, I think. As other instances kind of uh, might have highlighted what had happened and this, this odd story in Kelly. Um, it's, it started to turn around a little bit in the next generation. You know, there was a, <laughs> there was a writer 
you know, in the family who decided that she was going to uh, kind of set it straight a little bit. And she actually wrote two books about mm-hmm. it. And you can, you can find those on Amazon. Um, but, uh, but they're pretty good, uh, um, you know, for a, a straight retelling of, of that from the family perspective. Uh, so, you know, that kind of came out. Uh, I think people still tell that story with kind of a wink and a nod. Uh, which I think is still painful uh, to some of those folks. Um, but uh, then, you know, they come out and they're, they're really trying to turn it into uh, something that they can utilize now after, you know, like I said, after 65 years mm-hmm. of having people doubt them. Um, they do have a festival now, which I think they started like 10 years ago. It's been going on for a while. And, um, uh, you know, I have to get back down there. I think, uh, when I went down there, you know, we couldn't, they couldn't have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd, I'd love to get back down there. They have this huge, uh, replica UFO that kids can play on in the park. It's like 40 feet long. It's really cool. And, uh, it's really neat. And, uh, uh so they're really kind of, uh, you know, embracing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there have been some friends and some neighbors who went out and moved away for a while, and now they have since come back and and kind of uh, rejoined this this group that they were a part of a long time ago, and uh, you know, kind of still telling the same story. Uh, you know, it's that's another thing we've talked about is that in all of these years. The story hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. We haven't. There haven't been a whole lot of new details that have come out. There hasn't been any that have been twisted or changed. There was no one, and there certainly has been the opportunity for you know deathbed confessionals, for you know people who have again seen this really turn their lives inside and out. Well if they were just making it up, why didn't they just come out? Things got bad enough for a couple of these folks where they could have just been like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not carrying on this lie anymore. I'm just going to come out and tell everybody what really happened. Mm -hmm. That hasn't happened. No. And, uh, going back to something you said a little bit ago, you know, like the best thing for them would have been to just move. And, um, you know, from our perspective, you know, that's an easy fix, but, I think if anything, them staying lends credence, you know, lends credibility to, you know, what they went through. Um, you're you're right. Yeah. And you know the fact that not only did they not move then, but you know the, there's still family there now, um, like the granddaughter and stuff. Um, to mm-hmm. me, that lends a good weight of credibility, you know, um, because I I feel like. Uh, especially rural people are, you know, <laughs> going into the more negative aspects of it. You know, people are stubborn. People are, you know, uh, but to me, it's not, it's stubborn. It's stubbornness in a way, but it's also, um, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to think of, I know how I want to say this in my head, but I'm having a hard time spitting it out. Uh, but just that stubbornness to say, you know what, no, um, this may have ruined some of our lives. You know, this may, um, 
this dark cloud may be over us, but we're going to stick mm. to our guns. Not only are we going to stick to our guns, we're going to stay right here uh, where it happened. And we're going to make the best out of it, you know. And um, and that's kind of what the next generation is doing with the festival and everything. And, you know, they still got this dark cloud over their head, but um, they're making the best they can. And like you said now, uh, we got this festival. They've had people come to them telling them stuff, you know, odd experiences they've had uh, and so on. So, uh, yeah, just that refusal to um, move, to kind of stay rooted, um, not only in place, but in the place where it happened. like. Uh, I don't know, to me, that speaks volumes. I, I think you're right. I think it's a good point. And I think uh, when we when we talk about the folks who are there now who have grown up with this, I think one of the other things that they are doing with the, uh, the festival and, and this kind of stuff is that they're also keeping the memories of those former relatives alive mm-hmm. in a now in a good way, you know, now we're, we're pointing to them and saying, we know that they went through a lot. Uh, and now if we can keep remembering them with this, this festival that we have going on, then and maybe we can, you know, make it a little better for them, you know, in the after now that after everything they've gone through, I think, it does, and, and that's kind of what I tried to do in telling, in telling this story. It, it's not an easy story to put together. You know, you've got the events and you've got all that stuff that happened. You have kind of some witnesses who are still alive, but they're just kind of peripheral to the, to the you know, you don't have folks who are, you know, there that mm-hmm. you can really chat with that much. But But then you have two what I think what we've talked about a little bit before and what I'm really interested in is the effect that it had on the community and the family. Um, because as we said, I think it's inarguable that something happened. Yeah. Almost definitely. And we, we can't really say definitively what that is and we can debate it, which I think is fun, but what we can do as we can talk to the people who are still there and they can tell us this has been hard. But I think the one thing that I tried to do, and I think you guys alluded to is the little twist of, of, of sunlight here at the end of this is that it was a long road, almost 70 years. But what we're starting to come around to now is there's a little bit of positivity that's coming out of this now. And these people are doing something good with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. And I mean, just to kind of, you know, in today's modern age, you know, and, you know, for what we're trying to do, you know, trying to help build their legacy back up. Um, you know, today's age, it seems like every other day there's a UFO sighting. Right. And it, right. Feels, it feels like it's second nature. Like, oh, I seen a UFO. And it's like, oh, yeah, I seen it too. And it's just nothing now. And for mm. something, you know, for you know, 70 year difference, you know, back then it's like, no, you didn't, you're, you know, you're full of crap and all this and that. And now it's like, cool. That's awesome. Like that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Like just the opening, like today, you know, people are more open to the unexplained, um, more open to, you know, what's out there. And like, I, like I mentioned in, 
the the first episode. If you know, if you can't believe that there, you know, there's other people in all these universes, you know, around us, you're just ignorant. And mm-hmm. back then, you know, it's you know that small mind thinking, you know, well, we're the only people in you know the universe and all this and that. And it's just, I'm just, I'm thankful to you know be raised and grow up in the modern age to where people aren't going to bash you for seeing, you know, an opposite, you know, view on things. Right. And, yeah. I, I, I like just to, the, I, Sorry. Go ahead. I was thinking there's a, there's a great book. Carl Sagan has a great book called the demon haunted world. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys probably know that book, but I, I love that book where he, he has this idea, you know, that everybody was caught up in, in 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 the paranormal at the time kind of like now i mean same but you know when in reality the the science of our world is is so fantastic that it's on the same level that people should be as interested in i guess what we would call kind of uh, everyday normal science than uh in the same way that we feel about paranormal science but uh, I kind of flip it. You know, I think I, I, I like his, I like what he's talking about. And I think that's true, but I kind of flip it around a little bit too. And I kind of think that the world is way, way more mysterious than we know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we tend to, you know, well, I mean, you know, we talk about a little bit about the disclosure that we've had even in this year. Um, and I think that's led us to, you know, that's some pretty good evidence that I don't know if it's evidence of alien beings piloting spacecraft, but I think what it is, is evidence that the world is way more mysterious than we know. And uh, to me, I always just think about these situations like that. And I'm not, yeah, I think it's pretty arrogant to just dismiss, you know, anybody's, you know, like you guys said on the last part, it's like, it's pretty arrogant just to dismiss anybody's, um, you know, testimony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, just just to give you an idea, I mean, we know more about space than we know about Earth. And, I mean, the ocean alone, we have, you know, discovered, what, 5%? Right. percentage, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, just, I mean, 71% of the Earth is water. But yet, you know, we can go to the moon like we like we did back in 69. Just, you know, 14 years after this happened. You know, so for them to, you know, it's a little, it's a, you know, it was a very new idea for interstellar travel back then. Now right, it's right. like, it's like, all right, so, you know, when are we going to be moving to Mars? Mm-hmm. Like... I mean, just for that to happen in 70 years, it's baffling. And I am grateful. And I honestly don't know where I was going with this, but I mean, it was. I am just grateful to live in the age that I do and to watch, you know, my son, you know, live, you know, in this day and age. It's a a fascinating time. Yeah, yeah, it is. I agree. I think think we also, too, have to 
uh, I'm not I'm not sure we hit it home enough in this story specifically, but I think we need to because I think it still happens and because it's a soapbox that I've been on my whole life because, you know, as you know, as we all know, that when you're from Kentucky, there you automatically bring a uh, certain set of stereotypes with you wherever you go. Uh, right, rightly or wrongly, I think most of the time wrongly, but, um, and I think this is a perfect example. I think this story, I think we cannot minimize the impact of cultural bias when it, when it goes into the story. And, you know, my whole life being from this state, uh, wherever I go, uh, and it, it's happened to where I've been, um, uh, discounted. I've been um, unappreciated. I've been definitely been um, misjudged uh, because of where I'm from, and yeah. uh, and uh, and that's and it's because of the uneducated. Um, yep. I think I think it still happens. I think there is a real uh, cultural problem when anybody from our state or the South in general or uh, West Virginia or, um, you know, some of the Carolinas possibly, but, you know, um, there's a real thing going on now. You know, the Florida man jokes mm-hmm. are part of it. I mean, is yeah. it, is it funny and entertaining? Of course it's funny <laughs> for it's, it's funny for me because it's not making fun of my state. And I, I, I'll, anymore, be, I'll, right? be, I'll be honest <laughs> about it. Uh, that's that's why it's entertaining to me because finally somebody else is under the microscope mm-hmm. and uh, they can make fun of somebody else being crazy and backward and not my state. But that's not a good reason to be entertained or laugh at that. But uh, but it happens and uh, uh, it's it's something that I, I just have. I've had a real chip on my shoulder my whole life about this and uh, I think this story illustrates it pretty well to be honest with you yeah and like yeah going off like what you said ryan like that's a soapbox i'm off and on anyway uh because not only am i from kentucky but um as you and the listeners can tell i carry the accent (laughs) sure and uh you know and that alone has people i mean i've worked jobs where you know i'm just constantly on the phone um and inevitably you know and it's like a lot like where are you from kentucky oh well yeah i figured and then Uh it's just in the tone they say it you know it's like automatically oh well i'm talking to a goofball yeah or or you get the funny person who says i'm sorry yeah yeah um i I automatically want to hurt yeah (laughs) and like i mean and i grew up um like i grew up going to church and stuff and like church conference we were in um because Lewis County is right on the border with Southern Ohio. Um, so, like, we, you know, I had a lot of people I talked to and stuff from there. Um, and I've I've never been, like, a dumb person, like a dumb kid. Like, you know, I had good grades, good ACT score, all that stuff. Um, and I just remember, and I never thought anything of it because, you know, I never really experienced anything, but getting around the people who literally don't are like 30 miles separates us, you know, 30 miles on a bridge. Uh, sure. To them, I was always just, you know, this, 
They thought uh, thought of me, bumpkin. yeah, like I was a nice guy, but you know, above all else, I was a country bumpkin. Um, it's hysterical. Yeah, that. and like I just remember, like we were sitting around talking about like ACT scores one day, and I mentioned mine, and like you could have dropped a pen and heard, you know, right. <laughs> because they were just like, "Wait, what?" And I was like, "Yeah, you, you, you got that." <laughs> yeah, and I always, I always, I always got the reverse of that because I don't sound like you i have this weird you know in louisville it's this weird mix of uh you get like a little bit of chicago you get a little bit of st louis you get a little bit of you know whatever whatever that midwestern kind of thing is but what's funny is and this is the this is the kind of passive aggressive um slight that you get and and so it would be like this it'd be like hello they'd be like hi you know dun, 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 i'm ryan i'm doing this whatever Oh, really? Da, da, da. And then later on, we get into, oh, so where are you from? And I say, I'm from Kentucky. Well, you don't sound like mm-hmm. them. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm immediately like, well, what the hell does that mean? Yep. You know, like, uh, and I'm probably one to take too quick of offense to that, but I'm uh, very in tune with that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I think we're still going to find aspects of that, you know, when if somebody, you know, I actually really enjoyed the, uh, the new Bigfoot series that was on, was it Travel Channel, where they came down to southeastern Kentucky? I'm not uh, sure. I haven't checked it out. Is it Expedition Bigfoot? Is that what it is? I can't remember. I believe so. It's really good. It's really well done, and I think they really showed Kentucky in a really positive way, which I'm always trying to pay attention to. But, you know, I still think, no matter what, there's going to be somebody in southeastern Kentucky who says they saw Bigfoot and it's going to be portrayed like in a, in a, in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. It's just in a different way. And, uh, and I mean, just to go ahead, just to give an idea, um, my grandfather born and raised in Kentucky, one of the smartest men I've ever known. He dropped out in after eighth grade, you know, to him, he was like, well, I mean, I can, I don't need to know this. I can go work and, you know, supply for my family and he ended up going to the air force being a investigator and i mean you know for someone that only has an eighth grade education um he's taught me a lot that's cool and and just like whenever uh one of my best friends moved here from california in sixth grade i funniest thing he's like it, it was a complete culture shock to me Oh, no doubt. Cause, yeah. Because he moved here from Napa, which is just outside of Oakland. Mm-hmm. Mm. And yeah. So for him to come to, like, all right, so Maysville's not too small. Right. But it's, right. Not, it's not, you know, Lexington or Cincinnati or Louisville. Um, and just for him to, you know, live out in the country and everything, it was, it was a big thing for him. And he came here and he heard everybody's, you know, accents and he's just kind of like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) To kind of just bring this back into like the overall context of the podcast in in general, um, just a little bit, but I think I got a good way to bring it back. Uh, you know, no, you're good because I've actually been kind of wanting to say (laughs) something like this. Um, just going off, you know, how people from this area, you know, statewide are, you know, th- th- things are kind of discounted when we say, 
like you you know you said you hear somebody from southeastern kentucky say oh well i saw bigfoot you're like oh okay you know whatever um when pat and i were talking about the show um and like how we wanted to go what we wanted to do um pat was like well you know i'd like to focus on kentucky and in my head i'm like I'm like, I only know, like, a couple things <laughs> that have, like, happened here, um, like, major. Uh, but then, you know, you start digging, and there's, like, a wealth of just strangeness. Oh, yeah. Like, in this area, yeah. like, you know, in the state. Um, And to me, that just goes to show, you know, a lot of it's just, and a lot of it may not be true, you know. Um, But that's, I feel like that's for other podcasts to find out <laughs> um true, us, true. Well, we yeah, just want to yeah. talk about it and you know and that and you know because that bias while we get aggravated people you know putting stereotypes on us that still that overall bias seeps in you know to where like i said even i was oh, thinking yeah. like oh well you know there's not much around here like you know we'll have we'll do a few stories and then we'll go mothman and you know, talk about other stuff uh, but that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, but like the more you dig into it, like I mean, and I'll mention this now, but like the documentary Hellier, which kind of t- took over the, I would say, you know, the community, the greater community that is interested in this kind of stuff, kind of took it by storm when it came out. Uh, at least I imagine I'm watching it like two years after it came <laughs> out. Um, but uh, you know. Like it kind of lends credence to a lot of this stuff, and then you got uh the um podcast you brought up to me, Ryan, um, the Penny Royal, uh, which they do in Somerset, Kentucky. Like that's, that's fantastic. Oh, yes. I binged that all day. I got like two episodes left. <laughs> I'm like it's really itching. good in it. You know, oh. they they bring up that whole idea of the Kentucky anomaly, which is fascinating. Yeah, and just goes back into what you were saying where there's a whole bunch of really weird stuff and fascinating stuff about about this state mm-hmm. that we could do lots of podcasting about you're right oh yeah and like to me a lot of i've always had this thing and i brought it up in the podcast too but you know about place uh because i feel I'm very conflicted about my feelings of like my hometown like part of me likes it sure. and part of me um, wants to get out any way I can. You're normal. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're normal. That's what everybody feels. Yeah. yeah. But like, and so like the name of the podcast, In Living Out, you know, it's like that between place. And this is just something that's neat about like where I'm from, Lewis County. Uh, We're not really part of any region of Kentucky. Like the Appalachia region ends like right on the our borderline. Yet when... Right. When people, when you overlay maps of Appalachia, Northern Kentucky, like there's a Lewis County sized hole (laughs) where like nobody claims us. And it's just like, and to me, it's like, you know, I've always been kind of stuck in this middle place. And that kind of extends into like me being interested in this kind of stuff is that ah, it's something that they say on Astonishing Legends all the time. You know, it's all connected. Like, and to me, just Mm -hmm. that idea and, um, of how, like I said, me and Pat were talking about this, and then I started putting two and two together, and it's I, it's just it's strange, and I I mean I love strange. <laughs> I, I love that too, man. Right, there's the the Venn diagram of weirdness, and I uh, I like to be right in the middle. Uh, well, hey, it does bring it does bring a question that I have though that I, I just wonder 
you know, after you guys got to kind of dig a little deeper into this Kelly thing, is there any uh, kind of answer that you guys can come up with at all that you think that you believe? Is there, or do you believe one way or the other, or uh, any conclusion that you can draw from it at all? Uh, Pat, I'll let you go first. <laughs> um, I mean, in all honesty, you know, for someone that's always been interested in the supernatural, you know, you know, I'm a huge paranormal person, and we've discussed this on countless occasions. Um, you know, just the idea of the of a UFO. I mean, me personally, I believe. Um, and who am I to say it didn't happen? Um, I mean, like I consider and keep pounding is, you know, like a nail. Um, anything is possible in this world, you know, and just the idea of, you know, the universe is, you know, constantly, um, expanding. We don't know what's out there. Right. That's right. Who yeah. am I, who am I to say that a UFO didn't land? I, I'm no scientist. I'm no yes. journalist. I'm just a citizen that loves the paranormal and the supernatural. Um, but the idea, you know, for these little gray men to have, you know, sort of like a bulletproof uh, aurora around them, you know, the, you know, the sh- shells is bouncing off of them, you know, the ping, right. um, <clears throat> and just everything that happened to them on that night, I mean, I could see it happening. Um, but also another conclusion, um, mammoth cave, it is massive, massive. And there's parts in Kelly that their cave systems do connect to mammoth. And just like in Hellier, um, mammoth caves, you know, reach over to Eastern Kentucky, you know, down to Harlan County and, Sure. Yeah. Down in Pocket and all that good stuff. I mean, who am I to say that, you know, these goblin creatures aren't mm-hmm. from Earth, but they just live in the caves? And they're sure. not really aliens. They're just, you know, another um, subject of Earth. And they don't come out because, you know, they'd be ridiculed. And, you know, how they were coming out, you know, to, to um, this family... You know, with their hands up and everything, you know, not they probably weren't trying to get shot, right. and you know, just They're trying sad. to you know make friends and trying to you know be a part of the community and well, you know, for and you know mm-hmm. for you know this day and age, I feel like it'd be more open, but for you know all this to happen, you know, seventy years ago, and. I feel like if it was to happen now, it would be a whole different outcome. You bring up uh, something that I thought was probably the most interesting part of the story that that I put together was uh, a quote that was told to me from the from the granddaughter was the the matriarch who had left, 
who was kind of looking back on what had happened, and she said, what if they just landed here and needed help? And our response was to shoot them off our land, which, hey, I'm not saying <laughs> that I wouldn't have had a similar response. I get it. But like you said, like, what if their response was just a little bit hasty? What if they really were just coming and they needed help? She's sure. like, I wish, I wish maybe that we could have helped them. And it, whether, I, whether you believe any of that or not, it totally just threw me for a loop when I heard that quote. And I thought, oh, that made me just think about this whole thing a completely different way. When you think about, and I'm not going to throw the ET scenario out here for you, <laughs> but when you think about, okay, they saw something fly over, they thought maybe it was going to crash, something, whatever. They didn't hear anything, but there's some burn marks that shows that maybe something did land on the ground. These things come out. There are 16 officials who respond to this farmhouse. Doesn't it sound a little bit like the ET scenario? Just a little bit? Oh, yeah. You know? Most definitely. Uh, I don't know. I will say this. Uh, that, that, that quote did make me think about it entirely differently. And, and uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, is there any, um, any at all relevance to the theories about the caves about things emitting from the caves about causing uh, any kind of hallucination that these folks might have there might have been some type of natural gases that caused them to think that they saw something crazy uh, that caused all of these uh, shootouts and things like that is that possible in any way I think it could be, but I honestly haven't seen anybody take that angle because I think, Me neither. like, especially, and I got two things I want to say here. Um, I think if if that were the case, because um, you get further out east, you know, like there's supposedly a cave like near the Kelly site, but you get further out east, and um, you know, there's mines all over the place. <laughs> Like, like you can throw a rock and probably get it within 50 feet of the opening of a mine. Um, so to me, it would be more widespread if that were the case. Yeah. Uh, but I want, I do want to make a case for these beings, if they're real, coming out of the caves. And to me, it's from more of an evolutionary standpoint. Uh, these things have big eyes, you know. Um, if you're out sure. in the sun all day, you know, if you're doing interdimensional travel, whatever, you know, um, you don't need huge eyes to take in light. However, if you're spending your whole lives basically underground where there's not much light, to me, that's going to be an evolutionary side effect of that, you know, is you have big eyes that can take in as much light as possible if there's any to take in so that you can move around and sure. see. Um, and also, you know, little things. Caves aren't made for huge people, you know, or people-sized people. Sized people. <laughs> right, uh, right, and these yeah. things are supposedly, you know, little. Um, and to me, whether that means they've always been there, whether, you know, I don't know what that means, but I think that's something, that's a theory I haven't really seen tossed out is 
looking at it from more of a biological standpoint. Like to me, it makes more sense for them to come out of the caves than anywhere else. Um, because like Patrick said, Mammoth Caves is huge. You know, it sends from southern Kentucky, like up into like Virginia and parts of Ohio, and like you know, like it's crazy. Um, sure. And you know, <laughs> I guarantee you, nobody's been to. I don't think anybody would want to. I don't know of anybody that want to spend more than. I feel like we have a natural aversion to those kind of places uh, because, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I like seeing what's in front of me. I like being able to see my hand in front of my face if I don't have light. Uh, but, you know, so from a biological standpoint, I can see that making sense. Um, and, you know, whether the craft is the UFO that landed or supposedly landed, I don't know how that fits in. <laughs> Um, but like, but yeah, I mean, I think from a biological standpoint, it makes sense for the beings described, um, not only in this, but, uh, in the hell, you know, what initially kicked off Hellier, um, that makes sense to me, uh, just looking and I'm not a biologist. I took one science class in college and that was astronomy. So, so I'm definitely not an authority on this, but you know, from what I do know, you know, I got friends that I lived with a bunch of people, you know, two guys doing pharmacy, another guy doing biology, you know, so I pick up on stuff. But, like, to me, that does make sense, looking at it from that perspective. Interesting. Yeah. To me, it just makes my uh, brain want to explode. Yeah. So I... Uh... Yeah. I I can't think about it for too long. I do think it's fun though to to flip it. You know, like I want to believe, so it would be it's it's neat for me sometimes to just to flip it around and think it's absolutely false. Mm-hmm. So why would it be that way? And uh, I kind of wish more people who come at it from that perspective would try that exercise, and you know. Maybe the world would be a lot better place if we did that in a lot of different ways. Yeah. That's a different conversation, but uh, but yeah, I completely agree. And I think yeah. I think something we've really shown in this episode is it's definitely a lot easier for us being from Kentucky, you know, knowing about the area, um, especially you, Ryan, having been there. It's a lot easier for us to empathize with these people and. Then it is, you know, if your job's simply to be a skeptic, like there's an article out there. I didn't get to read it because it's behind a paywall. Um, but it, a lot of people bring it up. I think it's Joe Nichols. Oh, Joe Nichols, the skeptic. Yeah. yeah. Um, like his article, you know, I wanted to read it because, you know, I think, especially when you look into this stuff, you have to take in all sides into account. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like I said, I I wasn't about to reach a paywall i'm on a budget <laughs> so uh yeah i don't either i do think though that i think i might have read that one and i think joe was particularly uh scathing when it came to his uh his critique in that one if i remember correctly uh, um but i don't know i can't remember exactly yeah. uh, i've read a lot of his stuff he's uh he's very good at what he does but you know, I think that there are always, it's funny because, especially when I see, you know, what we would call critics of, of these kind of paranormal stories, 
you know, uh, maybe a better term. Maybe there's a better term for that because that, that kind of makes it sound negative. Mm-hmm. I think these are just people like uh, maybe they have more letters after their name sometimes than we do, <laughs> but they're just people like us who want to, you know, investigate stuff and talk about it. I'm not sure that they're qualified any more than we are, yeah. but I do think it's interesting sometimes when I've seen criticism or I'm sorry, when I've seen other debate about these kinds of stories where like, you know, I've seen them, I've seen some of these folks do exactly what infuriates me about some folks that I would call believers, like believers who want to see something, even though the evidence suggests that it's probably something very easily explained away. Mm -hmm. I've seen folks on the other side do something like that. I've seen Joe do this sometimes too, where like his explanation just, you know, conveniently leaves out several things that are really hard to explain. Yeah. Um, Well, you know, you think about, you know, J. J. Allen Hynek and the Project Blue Book stuff or whatever. You know, that's why I have so much respect for somebody like that who would say, yeah, you know, what, 90% of these could easily be explained away. But the other 10% of them really got me shaken up, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because we can't really figure out what's going on. And those those are the ones where you're like, oh, yeah, there's something something to this, you know? Yeah. Um. And I do. I did found an find an article with a kind of Nichols conclusion on it, and it brings up something mm-hmm. we talked about before uh, the podcast. But um, like I said, this is from the article. It, it's in italics, so I'm assuming they're quoting. But like I said, I don't. I didn't get to read the original to see this. But uh, supposedly Nichols writes. In summary, allowing for the heightened expectation prompted by the earlier, quote, flying saucer, unquote, sighting, and for the effects of excitement in nighttime viewing, it seems likely that the famous 1955 Kelly incident is easily explained by a meteor and a pair of territorial owls. What a hoot. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so that, and like we talked about earlier, um, I think the the subject's winding down, so I don't want to harp too much on it, but uh, these were rural folk, and supposedly the owls are, you know, like, they're in this area. They're going to know what an owl looks like. (laughs) Like, Well, here's the other thing, too. I'm going to assume that they're going to know what a meteorite or an asteroid looks like. Yeah. They're going to have seen a falling star before, or a comet, or an asteroid, or a meteor, or whatever. I don't think these are going to be new things to these people. To me, it's just infuriating to hear that you're going to take this whole story, which, okay, maybe all of it could be made up. That's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's an opinion of somebody to have. That's great. But you're going to take this whole thing and you're going to say, yeah, it came down to a uh, uh, shooting star and uh, two owls. Yeah. That's basically what happened. I mean, <laughs> I don't think so. Why did 16 official... <laughs> People show up to investigate two owls. That just does not make sense to me. No, and I totally agree. I don't. One of the um, one other kind of fringe theory out there is that um, twelve monkeys escaped from the circus, and for some reason they were painted silver. I've seen that one out there. Yeah, because they were carnival workers. Yeah, yeah. They talked about this, and you know, I could probably. 
I mean, I could probably believe a little more of that if there was more to that story. Yeah. I, I just, I don't get a lot. Of, that sounds like a pretty creative theory yeah. to me. Uh, I don't know why they're silver. I don't know why when they <laughs> shot at them, they didn't kill them. Um, and while there's a whole lot there that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And like, why the, would they just suddenly disappear when the cops showed up and then come back later? Like, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And it's one of those things that I was talking about where like people will just explain away and they'll be like, yeah, yeah there's two owls. And you're like, no, that doesn't satisfy anybody, you know? Uh, but you know, that's my opinion. So. Yeah. And I mean, and like you said, you know, it goes both ways. It's infuriating from both sides where yes. you have people outright dismissing stuff and then you have people 100% believe in anything that's told to them. Um, or, you know, looking for stuff where it's not there. <laughs> it's, I've, I've, that's unfortunate. Yeah. It's like I made a joke the other day. Um, I was watching something and they were going through using a, it was a paranormal thing on YouTube. And they were, you know, using the spirit box. And um, yeah. they would say, oh, I heard this. Well, like, I didn't hear anything. I'm not saying they didn't, you know, but like sure. to me, I couldn't hear it. And then the next day, um, I have a younger cousin who's not even two yet, and he was jibber jabbering. And my mom was like, "Oh, he said this." I'm like, "Did he?" Like, <laughs> I didn't hear it. <laughs> like, Probably like not. you know, people look for stuff in anything, and that that gets old as well as the outright dismissal. And like, I'm very, I'm a firm believer in the middle ground. You know, like be a skeptic, yeah. but also you know, if somebody comes to me with a story, you know, and they're obviously terrified. I'm, while I might be skeptical of some aspects, you know, it's 100% real to them. And so obviously something happened. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, healthy skepticism is good and it goes both ways. Uh, you, you, you would hope that these people who are kind of trying to debunk things are also open enough that again, we don't really know uh, a whole lot about this topic. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like, I feel like there's a lot of stuff out there in general that we just, we have to be mindful enough to admit that we don't know. Yeah. And uh, I feel like there's a lot of people out there uh, who don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but doesn't that just though, like when you see the video that the air force released, like, don't you feel like now, like some people just have to be like, Okay. Maybe we don't know what's going on. <laughs> I mean, it's like to me, Maybe this did happen. To me, what's it going to take? Yeah, like to me, you got to be equal parts Fox Mulder and equal parts Scully. You know, like yeah. But yeah, if if you can, yeah, yeah. if you can, and some people can, and that's okay. For those who are just adamantly opposed to anything, you know, that can be related to this topic. I just, you know, wonder, like, well, what what do you need if the government's telling you? Well, then, you know, maybe that's their thing. Maybe they're, like, just not going to believe anything the government tells them, which is fine. But, you know, but, like, what, you know, short of the uh, cliche landing on the White House lawn, uh, what do we need? What do we need to show people to make them at least admit that we don't know everything we think we know? Mm -hmm. And I, I think a lot of people are honestly... Especially the staunch, you know, no, it's not real, whatever. Um, you know, things have to make sense for some people. And when something enters their worldview that doesn't make sense, 
they're going to find a way to rationalize it, no matter if it's crazier than what, you know, actually could have happened. Yeah. And I think that's a problem we run into, especially this day and age where, you know, you have a question, you Google it, you find an answer in two minutes. You know, it's just stuff like that. Like, people no longer sit with questions anymore. You know, that's, for better or worse, you know, like, you know, I'm... Google got me through school, <laughs> but at the same time, uh, <laughs> I still like to sit and ponder, you know, like this kind of stuff. Like, you know, that's why we're doing this podcast. Um, we're not definitively right. here saying, no, this is what happened. You know, we're just, we're just talking, talking about it. Well, uh, I'd tell you what, any other, uh, any other topics you want to, uh, bring me on for, I'm ready. Oh yeah, we're, we'll definitely be <laughs> Most definitely be reaching back out because uh, this has been great. Uh, but I think it's about time to wrap up. Um, so uh, I think it's time to wrap up. So this has been the In Liminality podcast. Uh, once again, I'm Tyler. Uh, I'm Patrick, and uh, I'm Ryan. Yeah. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, love to have you again. Uh, but yeah. Um, if you're listening, we really appreciate uh, appreciate you listening, um, especially to the tangents or whatnot. But that's what goes into this show, and uh, we hope you enjoy and come back next time. And uh, Pat, do you want to give your sign off? Stay on it. <laughs> I was wondering if you remembered. All right, we'll see y'all next time. <laughs>